Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SCORE's podcast, Inside College Admissions. Today kicks off a new series where our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buskirk, is going to interview deans of admission from across the country to hear how the fall semester went, how the admissions process changed, how schools are responding, suggestions for families, and much more. If you're a return visitor to our podcast, you're already familiar with Peter. But if not, he's the owner and founder of Best College Fit and brings over 25 years of experience to college admissions. He's also a regular contributor to the SCORE blog, so make sure you check out his written pieces there too. Now over to Peter for today's conversation. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with admission leaders about matters affecting the college-going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk. Earlier this year, I was able to chat with 20 deans of admission about the challenges posed to their institutions by the emerging coronavirus. Today, I'm pleased that Rob Springall, Executive Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Penn State University, has been able to break away from credential review to update us on the college admission process at Penn State in the era of COVID-19. So welcome, Rob. Thanks, Peter. Good to see you as always. I'm wondering, how are things looking for you and your staff here in early December in the admission process? What's up? Right now, we are making our way through early action, first-year applicants for next summer and fall, much different than the last time we spoke when I was at a different institution. We have just over 70,000 applications in the pipeline right now at Penn State for both University Park and our other 19 campuses. And the staff and I, including this morning, were diligently working away at how we are selecting the students who will be getting hopefully some good news a few days before the holiday break begins. We have a, a, a rather long and kind of fancy title for you at Penn State. Can you help us understand what that means, uh, Executive Director for Undergraduate Admission? Does that mean that, that you're working with the whole Penn State system across the state, just the uh, State College campus? Help us understand what your role is. Sure. And, and actually, Peter, my formal title is longer than that. My formal title is Assistant Vice President for Undergraduate Education and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Penn State University. And the way I break it out is into each of those three chunks. The middle part, Executive Director of Undergraduate Admissions, my team and I, uh, which are based at the University Park, our Penn State's largest campus, are responsible for some of the recruitment process, but all the processing, back office, and all the important logistical work that gets a prospective Penn State undergraduate student from, I might apply to Penn State, to I've got an offer of admission, and now I'm on my way to matriculate through and go through new student orientation and actually enroll. So that's the middle part responsible for all the functions of a typical undergraduate admissions office. We do that for both University Park and the other 19 uh, campuses around the state of Pennsylvania and the world's campus, Penn State's online university. The first part, the assistant vice president for undergraduate education means I also work with many of my colleagues on policy and process issues that overlap the boundaries between admissions and how that affects a student's undergraduate career, everything from new student orientation to thinking about retention and persistence. And then the last part at Penn State University, as I said, means I I have some responsibility for the entire admissions process for every student who matriculates as a first year or transfer undergraduate student at the university. Wow. 
uh, not enough hours in the day, I would think, to do all of those things. But now I'm curious, as, as you outline these responsibilities, Penn State has a, a well-known honors program, Schreier's honors program. Is that a separate cutout from what you do, or is that under your umbrella as well? Hey, great question. The Schreier Honors College does have a, a separate and distinct selection process. We partner with our colleagues in the Schreier's Honors College, but when a student opts in to apply for admission to Penn State and admission to the Honors College, to Schreier here, they actually then apply directly to the Honors College and are evaluated by a select group of faculty and administrators for opportunities in the Honors College and also any scholarships that are available exclusively to students of the Honors College. Wow. Now, you, you mentioned that you're looking at some early action candidates. Now, are you seeing any difference this year from past years with regard to the numbers of students exploring early action at Penn State? We are. We are slightly more than 10% to 12% ahead in early action. It's a bit of a moving target this year because in addition to having an early action program, which is still relatively new for Penn State, we moved the deadline for that program from the 1st to November 15th, 15 days later to accommodate students who we, we realized were not quite as ready to hit a November 1st deadline. And we also instituted a test optional program this year. So when we count students in early action, the ultimate count will be based on how many were applying and eligible to be reviewed at early action. So it's still a bit of a moving target. But the big change is, is the increase, which we attribute as much to what we're seeing at some universities in the public space being a little bit more popular this year as families are looking for good value in higher education. But certainly we can't ignore the impact of being test optional for the first time has really allowed, I think, some students to see Penn State as a very viable opportunity where before they might have self-excluded based on their perception that their test score was not, so to speak, good enough. Actually, I have two questions that come out of your observation there. One, is there any sense yet as to the growth in applications and early action? Is that a regional phenomenon? In other words, do you find that that's a growth coming from students within the state who may not want to travel quite the distance that uh, they might have otherwise uh, in a pre-COVID year? Or is this just Penn State doing a good job with your marketing? Well, we'd like to think the latter for sure. But I think to your good point, there are certainly families who are looking to stick a little closer to home. But I think there's also families outside of the borders of the state of Pennsylvania who might be looking to stay regional, but are, are now thinking about public opportunities, public university opportunities, and our campuses, other than the University Park campus, we do offer a program called the Discover Awards for students in our contiguous states, plus District of Columbia and Virginia, that allow them to attend one of the Commonwealth campuses with a scholarship that they are only eligible to receive if they attend one of our Commonwealth campuses. So we think it's both in-state and out-of-state that have driven our increase. And one final question in that regard, when you mentioned that your experience so far is that there's an increase in applications, is that system-wide or for the main campus only, or both? It, it is for both. It is for both the, the Commonwealth campus group as well as University Park. University Park, at this early stage, does always tend to get 
the largest share of the applicants. Students who apply to the Commonwealth campuses, I think look at Penn State more on a rolling admission basis, because even though our early action deadline was November 15th, we are accepting applications throughout the winter and even into the spring. So I think it will only be fair to say what the lift, so to speak, was when we get to the final stage of the process after those last applications, which tend to be more to the other campuses than University Park. Once those arrive, we'll, we'll really know what the full impact of the year cycle was. Now, I'm dying to, to find out, with the test option at Penn State, historically, I would imagine your paradigm with regard to decision-making has been pretty quantifiably based, you know, scores, grades, et cetera. Now you're stripping scores out of the picture. How are you dealing with tens of thousands of candidates in a test optional environment? So far, so good. You're right. Penn State, historically, even well before I joined the university earlier this year, was known as a place that really did focus on an academic review, and it was a pretty quantitatively based academic review. So what are your grades? What's the rigor of your courses? What are your scores? A couple of other factors, and really that drove most of the decision to Penn State at being admitted to the university. As you mentioned, an honors college like our Schreier's Honors College does then do a more subjective and holistic review layered on top of getting admitted to the university. Sure. What we did this year is back in the spring when we originally considered going test optional, our research team in undergraduate admissions really looked closely at pulling the different pieces of the academic record out and evaluating how we could incorporate that into a rubric with and without a test score. And one of the advantages we have at Penn State is for a few years, we've asked students to do a self-reported academic record, uh, sometimes referred to around here as Schrar, <laughs> uh, which sounds like something a lion would say, which is perfect. Mm. And students are then inputting the courses they took, 9th through 11th grade, the courses they took, the weight or rigor of those courses, are they honors, are they college prep, are they AP, are they IB, and of course the grade achieved in them. So one thing that we could do at Penn State that I realize not every university had the data to do is look to see how could we use this granular information and come up with a little bit more sophisticated rubric in the absence of test scores. And, and that's been really powerful because for some students, it's really about their preparation of math and science that's most predictive. In other programs and other majors, it's really we need to focus on the social science humanities with an eye to the other subjects because Penn State's curriculum is not one size fits all. There are certainly programs where the quantitative abilities are paramount and there are other programs where the qualitative and subjective characteristics of an applicant really come to the forefront. So this is really going to be a minimally a two-year project for you to be able to test your first cohort of test-optional enrolled students to, to find out whether you're on the right track. Well, we, we don't have any news to break today. Right now, our program is a one-year program, but it is something we are starting to consider very seriously. If the pandemic has given us any gifts, and I use that term very technically, uh, as something we didn't expect but could be a benefit, we will have 
probably a little bit more than half of next fall's incoming cohort admitted on the basis of their tests and the other half roughly or so admitted without a test sitting in the same classrooms taking the same courses mm -hmm. we couldn't design a better more fair experiment if we wanted to and it'll give us a real opportunity to see really what is the difference in performance and could Penn State more permanently consider a process that allowed students to, to hold the power of whether or not they wanted to include a score in their admissions portfolio. It's interesting that in talking with, with others in your position at other schools, I've heard more than once the observation that once a, an institution experiments with test optional, it never goes back. I'm not asking for a commitment from, from Penn State of that, but it sounds like you're at least keeping the door open. Absolutely. And, and that's been my experience. So I did come across an article a few days ago by our, uh, our mutual friend, Eric Huber. Mm -hmm. uh, I happen to have this clipping from 10 years ago when uh, another college here in Pennsylvania went test optional. And he cited one institution that did revert mm. from test optional to test required again. But you're right, you hear very little about those places. Now, I'm curious to get you to think expansively beyond Penn State here, but for just a second. Sure. What do you think now, given your experience, the experience of so many others, a 60% increase in the number of test optional schools in the country, mm -hmm. what does this portend for testing on the college-going landscape in the future? Can you imagine what, what things might look like five to 10 years from now? I, I can imagine it will be significantly different, Peter, because as you said, we've seen such a growth in test optional institutions. And by and large, pre-COVID, those that went to test optional, even when they announced it as a pilot, very rarely went back. But I'm also thinking about what's happening is certainly for the next, I think, year or two, where both the College Board and the ACT are understandably struggling through some, some things that they may have seen, but a lot of things that they couldn't. Mm -hmm. that being together in high school gymnasiums on Saturdays, each at our own desk, taking paper and pencil tests, all of a sudden that whole paradigm just broke apart. Not just this class, but perhaps very, very likely the next class, so this year's high school juniors, also not being able to get what we would have considered a normal test. Right. And then after two or three years of these logistical problems, do a lot of colleges just throw in the towel and say, we need to find other ways to assess students. And that's if and only if they really feel the high school record and the other things collected in platforms like the common application aren't sufficient. This, this is interesting because we're talking about testing now within the context of decision-making in the admission process, but testing has offered an entirely different platform for recruitment as well. As long as I'm sure you or I have been involved with college admission, institutions have relied on the testing results for search purposes to, to do some lead generation. Sure. So if there's a, a lessening of testing, what do you think places like Penn State are going to do to find their prospects? Well, for, for Penn State, uh, even before I arrived here earlier this year, we were already putting those things in place, looking at our online presence. Uh, Penn and Penn State just launched our new homepage a few weeks back. In, in part to recognize that's the front door to the university, especially for our prospective undergraduate students. Looking at our social media plans, both what they call the organic, which is 
PSU underscore admissions on Twitter, for example, and also the paid social media or the paid digital advertising to, to get in front of people who we believe are thinking about attending college, even if we don't know them yet by name, there are certain places where students will go on the internet to research colleges. We wanna be present there. And some of our old fashioned recruiting uh, and building relationships with school counselors, with CBO directors, with independent educational consultants, that I think is still a very valuable part of the work. And hopefully the part of the work that actually will rebound faster as we get to the point where people are learning in person again, or counseling students in person, that may come back faster than the tests. Wow. In a somewhat related vein, campuses across the country have been shut down. Uh, and I don't know what the status of your campus is right now with regard to visitors, but from March to now, we've had to rethink the way families engage with colleges and the way colleges engage with families. How has that isolation affected your staff's ability to maintain contact with students and vice versa? Sure. I, I think, by and large, our ability to do one-on-one -on -one interactions or small group interactions has been affected only, only but a little because we've taken almost all of the in-person one-on-one or small group interactions and come up with the digital alternative to them. So we've continued to do bus trips for students, for example, from Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, two of our larger metro areas. They've been virtual bus trips. So same programming, same target population, same people involved, just without the bus. Uh, so we, those have been successful. Um, today as we're talking, and for the record, today is December 7. Uh, as you and I are speaking, we've got a thousand admitted students visiting, in quotes, the University Park campus for our first admitted student program of this cycle. And that turnout is just blowing our minds because that would be a really respectable turnout to an on-campus program, especially this time of year when there's so many other demands on people's times. The space where, where we know that human contact is being lost and, and we are concerned about it is the students, especially in large districts, large school districts that have been mostly remote, mostly virtual, and it's not our direct contact necessarily with the students, though our attendance at virtual school visits is not what in-person school visits were. It's the ability in normal times for us to call a school counselor and say, we need some help with Johnny Jones. We're missing his Schrar, or he said he's not test optional, but the scores are not here, or we'd like to talk to him a little bit about the program that he chose because we think he's a better fit for something else at Penn State. In normal times, we would call that school counselor. School counselor, maybe times, would literally say, hold on, stick his or her head out the door and find Johnny, almost sometimes on the spot, pull Johnny into the office, say, Johnny, my friend from Penn State has an important message to keep your application moving. In these times, in large districts that are mostly remote, that connection from the school counselor to the student is not working nearly as effectively as it normally does no fault of the school counselor, no fault of the student, but just the lack of physical proximity is really created this uh, barrier, especially when we're trying to reach, it, reach to students from marginalized populations who need 
oftentimes that one well-meaning adult who can give them the nudge about what they need to do next, and it's just not happening at nearly the same volume. And I'm more worried about that than I am about attendance at, say, a, a virtual school visit, because there's other ways we can communicate with students. It's those students who are in the more uh, marginalized group who need that nudge at the right time, and they're, they're not getting it. It's harder to see them in a virtual world, I would imagine. Absolutely. And understandably, they're focused on what they need to do today, this week, to complete assignments, to learn material, to, to move ahead as best they can. And some things that are just not as pressing are just not attended to at nearly the same completion rate. Wow. I'm curious now to kind of switch the direction a little bit. How are you finding families reacting to matters of cost and affordability this year? I mean, they, I would imagine that, that in normal years, Penn State has a fairly well-defined niche mm-hmm. because of the, the state university uh, you know, tuition structure, et cetera. But, but now, uh, given that a lot of people don't feel nearly as comfortable financially as they might have a year ago, are you seeing any sense of a reservation on the part of families with regard to the application uh, filling out the FAFSA with 2019 data and saying, but but that's not the reality for us in 2020? We have not seen anything yet that, that I can point to about significant shifts other than what you just spoke of. There's kind of some common concerns that 2019, the year that people would be writing in their FAFSA information and they're thinking about, well, that was back when I worked more hours or that's back when both mom and dad worked or that's before my hours were cut, or I changed jobs for a better quality of life for my family, but we took a bit of an income hit to do that. I do expect that we'll be hearing from families more when uh, when awards come out with concerns about those adjustments as a a large university, which mostly administers public program entitlements, Pell Grant, the Pennsylvania State Grant, and, uh, and endowed scholarship programs, we're not going to have maybe as much wiggle room as some private institutions do. But one of the beauties of the Penn State system is, especially for Pennsylvanians, we've got that flexibility of where students start. If looking and living on campus in State College to go to University Park is perhaps just a little bit too out of reach for a Pennsylvania student in those first two years, we have 19 other campuses so that students could start if they want to commute or just want to start on a slightly lower cost campus. We have some ways to be flexible, especially for residents of the Commonwealth. And I imagine we'll be hearing a bit more of that and we'll continue to be as flexible for those families as we can be if they want to delay their start to Penn State or may perhaps eventually come to University Park, but perhaps stay close to home and say a Philadelphia student who says, "Uh, you know, can I start at Abington and spend two years at Abington commuting? And then once I figured out what my major is and exactly what I want post-college, I'll transfer what we call change of campus to University Park. And then I'll uh, go in guns a-blazing and have a great two years to finish off my Penn State degree. Now, Flipping that script just a little bit, one might imagine that there are students who would otherwise be oriented to private colleges for four years that are saying, oh, <laughs> maybe we need to step back and, and take a look at, at doing something that we can afford for the first two years, you know, equal quality perhaps. 
uh, and then after two years, look at maybe transferring. Do you, do you see much of that happening or is it too early for you to really? That's, that's definitely too early for us to tell, you know, because if looking at the application data, that doesn't reflect ultimately families' intentions. And I haven't talked with as many of my counterparts yet in private higher education in Pennsylvania to really get a sense of what they're seeing. I'm curious also, what was Penn State's experience during this last year with the students who were slated to enroll in September? There was a lot of speculation across the board that what might have looked like a, an entering cohort in May might have been that minus a factor come September. Did, did the expectations in September meet what you anticipated? Well, it, it did. We had a very healthy first-year class starting with us in summer and fall at University Park, but also at uh, most of our other campuses. The, the good news from the Inside Baseball admissions talk is that we had projected that this would have a negative impact on our yield, so the percentage of students who selected to come once offered admission to Penn State. And we also expected international enrollment to ease off a bit because students couldn't get visas, students couldn't travel. Well, that happened somewhat, the international, but many of those students did take us up on an offer to defer their enrollment for a semester or a year. Turns out most will defer for a year. We exacerbated our potential downturn international by also standing up a temporary program in China for first year undergraduates to start their Penn State experience in China. Uh, we started a similar program in South Korea, though that didn't take off nearly as much as the program in China did. So we, we have a couple of hundred students who started Penn State in China, and we didn't find as much of the downturn as we thought we would find with domestic yield. It dipped some, and we do have some students domestically who deferred their admission to fall of 2021, not wanting to be on a campus, maybe not wanting to start immediately. But all factors contributed to a year where we thought, okay, this actually is turning out to be a little better than we thought. Uh, and part of that was through the leadership of the university committing to, to doing the very best job we could to have hybrid opportunities so students could start in person if they wanted to, or for students who are at Penn State already could return and be on a campus in person, at least for some of their instruction and to live on campus, since we know being with your friends and your, your cohorts is, is a part of the college experience for many of our students. Now, corollary to that is a question that I've heard from quite a few families, usually parents, of students planning to enroll next year, but they're concerned about the admission process now. And the thought is, won't all those kids who deferred instead of starting this fall, will that make it harder for my kid to get in during this admission cycle? How do you, how do you respond to that? I tell them at Penn State, to be honest, the percentage of students from last year's group who deferred their admission for next fall is not quite small enough to be a rounding error at Penn State, but it's one, not impacting the decisions we make for the first year class, and two, it's not really crowding out the opportunities for others. The short way to say it, Peter, might be that, yes, we've got some students who deferred uh, or are not physically in residence, but here at Penn State, they've spread themselves out over starting on a different campus than their ultimate destination, 
they're starting hybrid or remote instead of not starting at all. Uh, as I mentioned, they started overseas. Or, yep, some of them are deferring, but some of them are only deferring for one semester. And, and we do have some students starting with us this spring who I think said, you know what, I just need to get started. I would rather be at home or in a hybrid environment starting my Penn State experience rather than thinking about how I'm going to productively use the next six months and stay out of the game. That's, that's a really good assessment. Uh, as, as we reflect on the last 10 months, a lot has changed, not only at Penn State, but at, on campuses across the country in terms of the way you've been able to engage with students in the recruitment and now the selection process. Much of the change is born out of necessity. If you look into your crystal ball, what, what do you imagine among those changes are likely to become permanent fixtures in the recruitment process going forward? That's a great question, Peter, because there, there are probably so many cha changes that we've made that may not be completely in our control. Certainly, as I think about the campus visit experience and, and how to learn at the late stages about of the admissions process, how do I learn that this campus is the right one for me? We, we still have to do a really robust job and probably will in perpetuity of providing those virtual experiences. Even some of those virtual experiences where we might have said, you know what, there's no way we can do this virtual. There's no way that people can gain the experience without being here. Well, you know what? For another year or two, we're definitely gonna have a lot of students who just can't travel to our campuses. They can't see it in person. So we have to provide that virtual experience for admission, for recruitment, for yields, the admitted student events, new student orientation. Those virtual uh, components are still gonna be critical. How we recruit, and, and when we can enter high schools. Maybe some high schools will say, you know what, the daytime, weekday, in-school, school visit at some large high schools, they might say, you know what, Penn State, when you come, a third of our senior class packs into the auditorium and it disrupts our day. They might say, you know what, Penn State, if you wanna to talk to our seniors, here's a Zoom link, here's five great opportunities but talk to them at four o'clock in the afternoon, that may change. How we uh, do businesses admissions offices may change a ton, how often we're physically in campus. But also, I think this pandemic has also laid bare some of the inequities of the system and, and some of the ways that people who are only marginally connected to the process are now disconnected, first-generation students students from marginalized populations, students in large urban districts that don't have easy and complete access to school counseling on a regular basis. This pandemic has forced us as professionals to think about how we are connecting with those individuals. And going back to pre-pandemic times is not the fix. Uh, we have to find a more systemic way to fix the things that are broken because of the pandemic and the vaccine and public health measures will not repair the disparities. We have to find a new way to address those disparities. Always new challenges. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and it's heartening to, to know that those challenges are being considered by very thoughtful folks like yourself, and we'll work our way through this. One final thought I'd like to just throw out to you. Sure. When families are engaging in the process now, 
it's it looks a lot different than it did last year certainly looks a lot different than it did when mom and dad went to school or older brother sister went to school what are maybe one or two questions that you'd advise families to consider students and parents to consider as they approach college planning now in light of everything that we've experienced over the last eight to ten months sure to, to consider that at their heart the institutions that a, a student could consider have changed their modality have changed some of their business practices but at the end of the day they haven't changed who they are they haven't changed their philosophies they haven't changed by large measure their curricula uh, so to take some comfort in the fact that the the college search can focus on some elements that hopefully are more or less evergreen you know penn state's the university park campus is a large research one graduate extensive institution that does uh, lots of things well and they do lots of things at exceptionally high volume but it offers a value and an interesting proposition that i think families really identify with and our, our commonwealth campuses offer smaller experiences in in very personal environments that hasn't changed and post pandemic some of that will revert back to the way it was so i think for families keeping in mind not what my first year will look like which still may be abnormal but what will the totality of my experience look like you know after we get the virus under better control after we get vaccines and the public health measures have taken really hold in conjunction with the vaccines my my firm hope and belief is we're getting back to the campuses that offered residential education we're going back to the residential experiences. So keep in mind what the campus you see today is not going to look like the campus that you're going to see a year or two from now. But also, this is a, a certainly in a very appropriate time to think about if I'm in the early stages of a college search, what do I want out of college? I, I think that's an evergreen question. What am I seeking? Am I seeking training? Am I seeking intellectual development? Am I seeking uh, a further athletic opportunity? Am I seeking to meet friends or explore a new part of the country? Or am I seeking the safety and comfort of knowing that regardless of the path I choose, that there will be uh, an opportunity at the end that's personally and professionally satisfying? Is it for uh, some private institutions? It's about other things such as faith formation and uh, perhaps being part of a very specific curricular opportunity. And uh, there's so many great choices. Uh, we are blessed in this country with a college for just about everybody who is pursuing college, but almost enough that really it's a more custom fit than sometimes we recognize. And now is the time to use some of your research and actually explore some of those colleges that may not be the name brand, may not be the first place you think of because some of those colleges are still as equally as easy to find and just as important to identify as potential destinations. Absolutely, so it sounds like at the heart of it all, young people really need to be thinking about purpose and, and what, what sort of directions they want to find in life through college, and I think that's great advice. Rob, I want to thank you very much for, for the time you've taken this morning to, to chat with us. Always good to hear your thoughts about the college admission process, and I want to wish you the, the best as you continue with your year at Penn State. 
again, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on this college process. And for those who have been listening in, I hope this has been a helpful discussion for you as you come to understand better how this, this whole thing can work for you. Be safe, everybody, and we'll look forward to perhaps hearing good outcomes in the not-too-distant future. Take care. 